Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's uh, <clears throat> just a, it's a day after Christmas. I know we're uh, we've been full, right? We've been full um, just celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And um, I know there's food started back in October about there and it's just continuing on cookies. And I know here we uh, we continue to, to have food and snacks and all of that. So <clears throat> I hope you are awake enough. Are you? You guys okay? <laughs> we'll have to have everyone stand up and I don't know. What, what do you guys want to do? Push-ups? Some? No, it's, I know you're ready. You're, you're ready for the Word of God. We're, we're going to continue our study in the Gospel of Mark. Um, you know, the other day uh, on Christmas Eve, we covered Luke chapter 2. And uh, we're reminded of how it is that the Lord was announced, the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and how it was that the uh, the shepherds were, were out in the field and the glory of God shone around them and the angel proclaimed the good news of great joy uh, to us today. A, a Savior has been born. The Savior has been born. And uh, what a glorious morning, you know, as we understand that our Savior and what um, that represents, that day that we celebrate is, is a day of hope. You know, as we know, he not only was born on that day, but he died for our sins. And therefore, we have victory over our sins. And in the grave, one day, we will, we will know that personally, as he was victorious over the grave three days after he was, he was crucified. And, um, and so we continue our worship of God this morning through the study of his word. You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And so this morning, I pray, I hope that our faith is increased as we continue to bless him, uh, learning how to be true disciples, genuine disciples of Jesus Christ and bringing him glory. And so let's start off by reading. We're going to be in uh, Mark chapter two, and we will pick up in, cha- in uh, verse 18. Which is now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting and people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins. And the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. And continuing on in verse 23, it says, One Sabbath he was going through grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, you, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God 
In the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Father, we want to commit this time of studying your word to you. Lord, we ask, Father, that you would, by the guidance and the leading of the Holy Spirit, that you would teach us these things. We thank you, Lord, before we even get into, Lord, these verses and study them. Lord, we thank you for your patience with us. Lord, as you express it time and time again, as we go through the scriptures. Lord, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, Lord, this is your grace that, has, that was once explained to the leaders of the day. Lord, and today, Lord, it is for our benefit that it is recorded in the Bible. And so, Father, we, we thank you once more for this moment. We ask, Lord, that you would be honored and glorified as we are attentive to your word. We ask, Father, that you would speak to us, minister to us according to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning, as we consider God's patience with uh, those who ought to know the word of God, the law, very well, and have great understanding, what we have this morning is an explanation of grace. Uh, that, that is what we have, even as we go back to the previous section in Mark chapter 2, how it is that uh, Jesus was patient with those who were asking these questions. Because this morning, Jesus is continued to be questioned by the religious leaders of the day. You know, there's nothing wrong with asking questions. Uh, in fact, we ought to ask many questions as we go through God's word, knowing that God has an answer, knowing that he desires to give an answer. You know, as we consider going back a little bit as far as the gospel of Mark is concerned, when Jesus told the paralytic when he was lowered down, you, you remember that from it, through the hole that they made in the roof of the home, he was lowered into the home because it, it was so crowded they couldn't get through everyone. And as he was lowered, and they were hoping that he would be healed, that he would be able to walk again. And instead of Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. We know that at that time, some scribes questioned in their hearts. They didn't verbalize it. They didn't say it out loud. And yet Jesus knew what they were questioning in their own hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus enjoyed a meal with Levi, the tax collector, and his tax collector friends, and the sinners, the scribes of the Pharisees said to Jesus' disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? These are all good questions, especially if you don't know. But these were the teachers of the law. These were the scribes, the Pharisees. They were the ones that should have been able to discern, to 
judge according to the word of God. These men, as I said last week, had great knowledge and yet lacked wisdom and discernment. A a great knowledge of the overall word of God, the law of the letter, they knew it so well. And yet again, they possessed little to at some times no knowledge whatsoever of how to rightly apply the word of God to just everyday situations. It's interesting how that can sometimes happen. You know, we get so full of of knowledge and, and we can debate so many things and yet we fail to apply the word in just some basic ways in our in our lives. Uh, To speak to difficulties that we're faced with. Decisions that have to be made. It's like, why do we wrestle so much with those things when we know the word of God? We know what God desires. We know his will. Well, the good news is that God is patient. He's merciful. Oh, he's, he's gracious with us. We'll see this morning how Jesus explains why his disciples are not fasting as they ask the question, why Why are your disciples not fasting? And John's are and the Pharisees uh, and all the scribes and the religious leaders are. So we'll, we'll see how it is that Jesus explains why his disciples are not fasting while he's with them and why his disciples can pluck grain on the Sabbath when, they are, when they're hungry. In answering these questions, Jesus points to himself as the bridegroom, the son of God, the son of man, the Messiah. As he has already revealed that he does have the authority to forgive sins. Something that they already knew and they had declared something that only God can do. Why? Because he wants them to know he is truly the son of God. He is the Messiah. And God wishes that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Even tax collectors, in the worst of the worst, as that day would look to tax collectors as the worst of all sinners. Because he has come, Jesus has come, to seek and save the lost. So grace is explained through the teaching of the bridegroom, the wineskin, and the Sabbath. Let's begin with the bridegroom. Again, going back to verse 18, it says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. So the disciples were being compared. They took note that as the Pharisees and the disciples of John the Baptist, they they all took to fasting they, they noted that Jesus' disciples were not fasting at all. You see, a, a normal week for Pharisees would be to fast at least two times. During the week, two times. 
But again, Jesus' disciples were not fasting at all. Why was that? You know, Jesus told a parable to teach about genuine humility and also to point out what pride looks like. In Luke chapter 18, in verse 9, it says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other, you guessed it, a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, and this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. In reading this, we can't help but to understand the lesson that this parable that Jesus taught is pointing out. We ought to be careful that our religious observances don't become a source of pride because we can choose anything, perhaps that we do consistently and maybe even well. We can use it as a source of pride. And so we are warned to not become like this Pharisee that looked at the tax collectors. I'm not like him. But here Jesus was not only pointing out out genuine humility, but also the joy of being with and knowing a personal relationship with the bridegroom as we consider Mark in what we just read in chapter 2. In Jesus' day, it was common practice for religious rituals to be suspended during the week-long celebration of a wedding. Fasting twice during the week of celebrating the bridegroom? Absolutely not. During that time, those types of observances were suspended. They, They weren't adhered to religiously. It was a festive time. It was a time of of joy. It was time of feasting, not fasting. And so they wouldn't fast during that week. And Jesus was drawing that picture, was illustrating that in their own minds and hearts to help them understand who it was that was speaking to them and responding to their question. Why is it that John's disciples and the Pharisees are fasting twice a week and your disciples are not fasting? Well, with this illustration, they should have immediately understood who it was that was before them. Jesus had nothing against fasting. In fact, he was in favor of fasting. He encouraged fasting. When it was appropriate and for the right reasons and it was to be done, again, rightly, with the right heart. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 
Jesus addressed this. In verse 16, he says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So, I refer to that because we know that Jesus, again, not only um, encouraged, like not only observed fasting or encouraged it, or but he also explained exactly how to fast. You know, when you fast, don't look like you're fasting. Don't make it known to everyone. It, it should be something that you do on your own and for your own reasons, and they should be the right reasons. In fact, as we consider fasting, fasting actually should be observed and practiced more often by Christians, again, for the right reasons. The grieving of sin, intercessory prayer, making difficult decisions, preparing for ministry or specific work of ministry and others. And so, if anything, we don't fast enough as a church, as individuals. There's so many things that we ought to be fasting for. But although it was normal and it was good to fast, Jesus was making a point. Explaining why it was that his disciples did not fast while John's and the Pharisees' disciples did. First of all, Jesus, the Messiah, the bridegroom, was in their presence. He was there. Celebration and joy is to be known while he is present. Because there there will come a day, and it was coming soon, when he would not be physically present with them, but he would ascend to the right hand of the Father. The day would come when Jesus would no longer be present with them physically, and then it will, in that day, be appropriate for them to resume the practice of fasting for fitting reasons. But at the moment, the bridegroom was present. And a joy should be expressed. Listen, we know Jesus is not with us physically. Not today. One day he will be. But we do possess the Holy Spirit. The Spirit that leads us in all truth. Teaches us all truth. Points us to Christ seals us for the day of redemption, being our guarantee of God's imputed righteousness in Christ, and as believers and disciples of Christ Jesus, our Lord, it is the mark of a believer to have joy, knowing personally the fruit of the Spirit. Grace and joy are known by those who belong to Christ, I, I, I look back at my life before Christ and I can tell you that I had moments of joy, of happiness, but it was fleeting because it all depended on whether, you know, I was being fulfilled personally, whether I was content with and satisfied with whatever it was that I was experiencing or receiving or just being fulfilled with at the moment. But 
I, I, I look back and I think, man, the, all of that was just short-lived. And after a while, I just needed more. But after I came to Christ, that completely changed. I, I began to understand what it meant to be content in the Lord. And I am still learning. I'm still learning through different circumstances and situations and all of that and just growing in the Word of God to where I, I am figuring out how to be joyful in times when things are difficult, knowing that Christ is everything and my contentment comes from Him and knowing the hope of Christ and one day being in, in His glory. But grace and joy are the marks of a genuine believer. Joy and grace. Galatians chapter 5. Verse 19 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. So they're obvious. Evident, obvious. They're deliberate, open. It says sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Just as it should be obvious the works of the flesh, it should be obvious the works of the Spirit. It's not just this inward reality, but it's an outward expression of what is in the heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is something that should be expressed outwardly, as it is an inward reality. Well, Jesus' disciples knew God's grace. They knew the presence of the Son of God, the Messiah, the Bridegroom, and He was to be celebrated and enjoyed. Today, He is to be celebrated and enjoyed every single day. And we express our love for Him through our obedience to His Word. Not because we are, we are, uh, we, we have to, we're obliged to. Not because it's a duty, but because it's a desire. It's a decision that we make each and every day. And that's an expression of our love for Him. But we take great joy and we have grateful hearts toward Him. That's the way it should be. As the disciples were in that day, so we should be today. And then we have the wineskin. As that was explained, verse 21, it says, No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine, the, the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Uh, if you don't know, now you know that you never put a new piece of cloth 
onto an old garment to patch a hole. You just don't do that. It won't work. It will eventually shrink and ruin the garment. In fact, it could shrink so much that it will tear the old garment and actually make the hole worse than what it was originally. The same principle applies to wineskins. That is, you don't put new wine into old wineskins. If you do, then what will happen is the, during the process of fermentation, expansion takes place and the rigid walls of the old wineskins will burst, ruining both the wineskin and the wine itself. Of course, it will be spilled. We know that wine is often associated with joy, with celebration, especially as it pertains to weddings. Uh, we, we need to note and consider the wedding that happened in Cana. Now, David Guzik says this, quote, Jesus' point was made clear by these examples. You can't fit his new life into old forms. Jesus traded fasting for feasting, sackcloth and ashes for a robe of righteousness, a spirit of heaviness for a garment of praise, mourning for joy and law for grace. Close quote. Christ did not come to abolish the law, as he said, but to fulfill it. Each word, each mark has a significance. And it will all be fulfilled. We cannot fulfill the law. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law perfectly. And in Christ, grace was known and is known. And the old form of worship according to and an observance of the law could not contain the work of of the Holy Spirit of salvation in Christ Jesus, knowing the forgiveness of sins by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. What they knew is the observance of the law. What we know today in Christ is the new covenant. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Not through the observance of any law. It's been fulfilled by Christ. In Christ, our service to Him is for His glory and a response to His grace and assurance by His righteousness of our forgiveness by His finished work on the cross. Our service and sacrifice is never to gain salvation because we could never gain it. We can never win it. But to show we love Him and are eternally grateful for His love and His grace that he demonstrated through and in the sacrifice of his son, Christ Jesus. The bridegroom, the wineskin, and then the Sabbath. Verse 23, One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, and he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath.
Jesus, again, was questioned by the Pharisees. This wouldn't be the last time that he was questioned by the Pharisees, by the religious leaders of the day. But this time it was regarding what was regarded by them as an unlawful act performed by Jesus' disciples on the Sabbath. What did they do that was the breaking of the law? What, What was considered to be unlawful? Well, they were hungry. As they went through a field of grain, they plucked the heads of grain and they ate them. That was it. That's, that's all they did. So let's go back to the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 23. In verses 24 and 25 is where we're going. This is um, part of what you would consider the law of Moses. And here it says, beginning in verse 24, it says, If you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall not put any in your bag. Verse 25, if you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. So question, according to God's law, did they violate it? No, right? They, they didn't violate God's law. Um, they simply, according to this, you can go into your neighbor's vineyard And partake of his delicious grapes. If you so choose, you're going through. It's okay. You can grab a few grapes and pop them into your mouth and enjoy them. You're not stealing. Now, if you brought a bag. And you took uh, some grapes and you started gleaning them. You started putting them into your bag. Then, yes, that that would be theft. Well... Also, it also applies to going through your neighbor's field. And, and there's grain. And you're hungry, you go through, you, don't, you didn't bring a sickle, you, you're, you're, not, you're not reaping a harvest for yourself. But you're just plucking a few heads of grain and, and eating them. According to the law, this would be okay. If they didn't violate the law according to the law of Moses, how were they in violation? Why is it that the Pharisees would even ask this question? What did they do wrong? Why was Jesus being questioned? After all, they were the teachers of the law. Now, it is true that Jesus' disciples did not break the law. But they did break what was made up by the rabbis as being an unlawful thing to do on the Sabbath. What did the rabbi say was unlawful? Well, reaping, threshing, winnowing, and preparing food. 
See, you, you always have to ask the question of anything that is kind of twisted as far as the Word of God is concerned. You have to ask the question, define that for me. Whatever it is, define it. Your definition may not be God's definition of what it means to reap, thresh, winnow, and prepare food. Because they didn't do any of those things. Even, even the law that had been established by the rabbis or their rules. Because they didn't do any of those things. But they regarded what the disciples did as breaking all of these. And a violation of their law. The rabbis had made some pretty ridiculous rules for the Sabbath. Did you know that you couldn't carry anything with your can't carry anything with your right hand. You can't carry anything with your left hand. But you can carry something with the top of your hand. You, you can carry something with your elbow. You can carry something in your hair or on your ear. You can. You can only walk so far. And so you better make preparations the day before in order to not violate those things on the Sabbath. Today, if you're observing, observing the, the Sabbath, you can't touch a light switch. And so either you have to have sensors in those rooms to where you just come in and it, you don't do any work. Apparently, flipping a switch is also work. So that they'll come on or turn the lights on before the Sabbath and leave them on whatever lights you need. Doesn't it sound like something that was embellished upon as far as the word of God is concerned? Is that what really God meant? As he said, observe the Sabbath. It's interesting, when did Jesus perform many of the miracles that he performed? On the Sabbath. How interesting, right? Perhaps he was making a point about the Sabbath. Because he broke so many of man's made-up laws on the Sabbath to show that they were not God's laws or to explain the meaning of the law like the observance of the Sabbath. Oh, we can bring ourselves into bondage when we do these same types of things. And then we start exalting those rules and regulations that we start enforcing. And then we require that to be the mark of genuine salvation. When it isn't the way God had laid it out at all. Salvation does not come through the observance of the Sabbath. Salvation is not demonstrated or proven because you can speak in tongues. Salvation comes by grace in Jesus Christ through faith in him alone. It is a gift of God. And so Jesus was explaining to them as we see in, in this chapter how it is that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. 
And first, Jesus pointed out the truth of the Sabbath and how to observe it in what they were already familiar with. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 21, this is what they had known already. Then David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech came to meet David trembling and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with the matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I've made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered, David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women... And David answered the priest, Truly women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. That is what he's referring to. That is what Jesus is referring to that they were already familiar with. If the priest knew that it was okay to provide what was needed, what provide satisfaction of the hunger that was felt by David to provide sustenance for them, well, so should the Pharisees in Jesus' day. They should have understood that. And so he was making reference to that. In Luke chapter 14. And I point this out because this should have been the obvious to them. In Luke chapter 14 in verse 1 it says, On uh, one Sabbath when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? So now Jesus is asking the question, You answer the question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remain silent. Why would they remain silent? Because they already knew the rules of the rabbis, right? They already knew that this would would have been a violation of the law, according to them. But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. They couldn't get themselves to reply. It's like when a person knows the truth and they just fail to reply, they they won't respond. When they're confronted with the truth, have you ever been in that situation? Someone is so full of pride, they, they just, they're so full of themselves and they, they want to remain in the place where they are. So you ask them that question, they know the truth. It's like a child that doesn't, won't answer. It's not coming. You're not going to get it. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 1, you shall not see your brother's ox. We're going back to the Old Testament You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and ignore them. You shall take them back to your brother. 
And if he does not live near you and you do not know who he is, you shall bring it home to your house and it shall stay with you until your brother seeks it. Then you shall restore it to him. And you shall do the same with his donkey or with his garment or with any lost thing of your brother's which he loses and you find. You may not ignore it. You shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fallen down by the way and ignore them. You shall help him to lift them up again. And so again, it's evidence as far as the Old Testament is concerned. How it is that we ought to respond when we are, when we come across such circumstances. Now, Jesus was not violating the law, nor were his disciples. But he did explain how it is that an observance of an immediate need, an urgent need, especially as it pertained to a person and their salvation, as we've seen, is more important than the observance of a man-made religious ritual. You see, the Sabbath was actually made for man's benefit. To rest from work. Not to cease from existing or stop doing what was right and what is good. Secondly, and more importantly, Jesus declared that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. And he was not offended by his disciples' actions. Because they didn't do anything wrong. They were good. They were right. It was a fitting thing to do. If the Son of God is not offended, why would these Pharisees be offended? The rigidness of religion made up by man will never allow for the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. That's something that for us, we, we need to be constantly acknowledging. We need to look at, a, a, at the bigger picture. We need to make room for God's grace and His love and His mercy and then express it ourselves. Not be quick to judge, but be quick to seek to understand and to consider God in the midst of whatever situations we're in. That we would deny ourselves. That we would certainly pick up our cross and follow Christ. And when we do that, we'll express God's grace, His mercy, His compassion, His patience, especially as it pertains to one another. You know, many people who are rigid and are not willing to apply grace in their own lives and in the lives of others express what is written in 2 Timothy 3, verse 5, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. You know, as, as I walk more with the Lord, as, as I look at what He desires above all, I just ask the Lord to give me more patience, that I would express more grace. I would love to err on the side of grace than to cast quick judgment upon a situation or a brother, especially a brother sister in Christ. Well, thirdly and most importantly, 
we need to understand that Jesus is our rest, not a day. Jesus is our Sabbath. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, and at that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The bridegroom, the wineskin, and the Sabbath. In all of this, Jesus points to himself as the bridegroom in whom we are to know fellowship, joy, and freedom in the Spirit. I was also thinking about how as we live in great expectation of his return, we ought to be ready for his return. And I want to say this to you, church. There is um, a couple of stories that uh, were, are there in the Word to, to provide a truth for us. First of all, Jesus will come like a thief in the night. And that is for those who are completely not ready, those who have completely rejected him. But then there's another group. There's ten bridesmaids. Five were ready, five were not ready. And that, that is something for the church. We ought to be living expectantly. You know, there's, um, uh, there's the wedding. There's the bridegroom. There's the bride herself. The church is the bride of Christ. He is the bridegroom, and he's coming back for his bride. We don't know the day or the hour, but we should know how to discern the season. He can come back for his church at any given time. And the oil for the lamps is a representative of the Holy Spirit. We should be filled with the Holy Spirit. We should be be ready, ready for the return of Christ. At the moment we hear the cry of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet, we should be ready. Because at that time, the people that he was speaking to knew exactly what he was saying. The bride would always be ready in her wedding apparel. The bridesmaids would be ready also. But there would be some that would be left out. Church, let's be ready. Let's live with great expectancy. Anticipating his imminent return and the rapture of the church. Let's uh, be a people who find great joy in what God has entrusted to us. Being prepared perhaps means that we are to repent of our sins. That we stop playing church, not being religious and denying its power, but, but be genuine. 
believers surrendering our hearts to Christ completely, just completely devoting ourselves to him in his glory. And for others who perhaps don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that today would be a day of surrender, that you realize that as Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. That you know that salvation is only through Christ. That today you would simply cry out to Christ and ask Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. He'll give you a new heart, a new perspective, a new desire to bless and honor Him. And respond to the love that was first demonstrated to you. In that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. By being obedient to His word and just honoring Him. Because as we saw this morning through the study of Mark chapter 2, grace is explained through the teaching of the bridegroom, the wineskin, and the Sabbath. Jesus is our Savior, He is our joy, and He is our eternal rest. Father, we thank You, Lord, that You sent Your only begotten Son, and whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I thank you, Lord, that it's simply a confession, a a genuine confession that Jesus is the Son of God who died for our sins. That through the shedding of His blood, we have the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, it's your grace. And you offer it to everyone. And I pray, Lord, that there is not a person here who does not receive that. And does not surrender their lives to you. That they may know it. In Christ Jesus. That they may enjoy a hope that is eternal. Knowing that one day they will be in all of your glory for all eternity. And so Lord thank you. Thank you for loving us the way you have. The way you do. Thank you for your grace. Your mercy and the hope that we have. In your son, in Jesus' name we pray.